circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Hey, 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 good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. Tonight, Full Circle celebrates the West Oakland Juneteenth celebration organized by BH Brilliant Minds. On tonight's show, we'll hear interviews with community organizations that were recipients of the Huey P. Newton Trailblazer and Legacy Award. We'll also speak with Barbara Howard, the founder of the BH Brilliant Minds West Oakland Juneteenth celebration, and her plans to pass the torch to the next generation of leaders. And we'll also hear from some of those young folks. All that tonight on Full Circle. I'm your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin. I'm coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Baby Walk Territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin. I'm a graduate of the program, and I'm also your host tonight. And tonight we are featuring interviews from the 15th annual West Oakland Juneteenth Celebration put on each year by Barbara Howard and BH Brilliant Minds. And Juneteenth, as many of us are now learning about, thanks to the traditional black holiday now being elevated to a national holiday, hey, uh, marks the day, June 19th, 1865, when over 250,000 enslaved Africans in the state of Texas learned that they were actually free since the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation in January of 1863, two years earlier. The day became known as Juneteenth and was celebrated by the relatively small population that knew about it. But over the years, the tradition spread out across the country as people carried the knowledge with them as they relocated throughout the country, eventually leading us to here 2022 and the day finally being recognized as a national holiday. And as I said, BH Brilliant Minds has been hosting the West Oakland Juneteenth celebration for the last 15 years. So let's get into some interviews from the event, but we'll kick it off with a shout out to KPFA from the main stage. Then we'll hear from graduate apprentice Rod Akeel and current apprentice Nomi Windmaker as they speak with author Dante King and then with Isis Tartar of Black Girls Code. Check it out on KPFA. So I just want to, Danny, come back. Where you at? Oh, so I just wanted to let you know. Oh, we have KPFA in the house too. You're listening to Full Circle KPFA ninety four point one, 
We're at 15th Annual West Oakland Juneteenth Celebration and Festival sponsored by BH Brilliant Minds Project. This is Nomi Windmaker. Hello, my name is Rod Akil. I'm your co-host. We're about to interview Dante King. He is the leader of the Cultural Equity Employee Experience and Engagement at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. He also is the author of 400 Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide. Hi Dante, thanks for uh, joining us. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me, Rod, and Nomi. Tell us about your uh, cultural equity employee experience. So I did some work with the San Francisco Transportation Agency around culture change. Uh, it was in response to a lot of disparities and challenging cultural dynamics that existed within the agency. Uh, and so I, when I went in, I helped to create policies, implement programs and trainings that would provide cultural competence, leadership development in response to complaints that had been uh, forged by employees and a lot of data disparities that existed amongst pay, hiring, retention, promotion, all aspects of workforce. Uh, muni, rail, taxi, any mode of transportation in the city, as well as street projects that you see, let's say lanes being built or new bus stops being added, et cetera. It's a full operation. Oh, okay, all right. So did that work inspire this book? Because it sounds like there's an intersectionality between the work you did at the MTA and some of the subject matter of your book. I would say that my life path uh, in full, as well as my academic study, inspired both my professional and academic path. And so it has led me into career opportunities that I've pursued. So I'm curious about your title, yes. particularly the word Holocaust. Can you give us insight on why you chose that particular word in your title? Absolutely. So my book chronicles the ways in which legality has constituted the construction of anti-blackness in America and the ways that black people have been situated systematically in a culture of terrorism uh, that has been normalized over the course of 400 years. When we look at, particularly, particularly in the period through the 19th century and the 1800s, when you have academic philosophers creating sciences such as phrenology that constituted that black people had less bumps on our brains, which made us inferior. You've got the science of polygenism that also constituted that because black people had uh, allegedly smaller brains that we were inferior. You've got the science of physiognomy that stated that because of the ways that black people looked, just based on our facial features, that we were inferior. All of those sciences led to led into the science of eugenics, mm -hmm. which began to prevail in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And you've got the Supreme Court of the United States ruling in 1927 that compulsory sterilization of the unfit is necessary for the health and protection of the state. And so from that, that's 1927, in the early 1930s, you've got Hitler saying, I've looked at what the United States is doing regarding racial integrity, 
And so we're going to adopt their sterilization program, their eugenical program. Um, and you've got leaders such as Harry Laughlin, I believe his name is, uh, Madison Grant. You've got Leon Whitney, who is the executive secretary of the American Eugenics Society, who endorses Hitler's sterilization program. And so the Holocaust, in essence, is a play right out of America's playbook when you get to mid-1930s, uh, late-1930s Germany. And do you think that term is relevant right now in this moment? Absolutely. We've normalized terrorism and, and a war on black people, and there is unwritten licensure that provides that not only white people, white people created this culture so they're responsible for it, but this culture that provides for anyone, any black person who does not present through white optics of respectability, acceptability, and or civility, that they can be mistreated and dehumanized. And even those of us who uh, go through these academic institutions, we feel that though we've achieved some type of, some modicum of success because we've accumulated uh, wealth in a white capitalistic system, we are not exempt. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing that over and over and over again. It reminds me of the other books, uh, Isabel Wilkerson, Cast. Absolutely. Uh, also, uh, Some of Us by Heather McGee. Yep. And also, uh, Ex Kendi. Stamp from the Beginning. Stamp from the Beginning. Yep. Uh, so, all this, I read two of those books and, and some of the other. Cast, I think, is brilliant. And it reminds me of that. Uh, yes. The system that we live in that's kept us on the bottom. So, I'm looking forward to reading this book. I think it's extraordinary. You wanted to read some passage from your book? Yeah. yeah, because when we talk about, um, when I reference, or at least in the title, legal, psychopathic, and sociopathic, um, what I'm referencing, and I'll just give several examples, uh, one being the Casual Killing Act of 1669, which basically stated that it was permissive to kill black people, and people were encouraged to murder black people if they resisted chastisement. So that's 1669, the Casual Killing Act, one more example, this is just from a court ruling in 1859, the Mississippi Supreme Court. They say, the crime of rape does not exist in this state between African slaves. Our laws recognize no marital status between slaves. Their sexual intercourse is left to be regulated by their owners. The regulations of law as to the white race on the subject of sexual intercourse do not and cannot for obvious reasons apply to slaves. Their intercourse is promiscuous, and the violation of a female slave by a male slave would be a mere assault and battery. And so you've got plantation owners who are given the power to regulate sexuality and sexual intercourse of black people. So you have little boys being sodomized on these plantations, grown men being sodomized on these plantations, and young black girls and women who are being exploited and subjected to endless attempts and, and accounts of rape. And so this is the relationship that American society builds with black women, black men, and this is the situation and predicament that we're in, in the context of Christianity. So what is, what, what is your hope in writing this book? And what if someone said to you, and I know we only have a few minutes, so, but what if someone said to you, well, that was a long time ago. Those were, you know, 1800s, 1600s. What does that have to do with today? So what is your hope of promoting writing and promoting this historical information? So 
to that, I would say take my class because I teach a few courses, one which is available to members of the community. Anyone can take it. It's offered through UCSF. If you are a physician or clinician, you actually get continuing medical education for taking it. And if you're an attorney, you get 16 hours of continuing legal education. But I want people to understand anti-blackness past and present, because if we look at all outcomes and disparities, whether we're talking about economics, whether we're talking about health and well-being, housing, incarceration, black people are situated in a, in a predicament that still constitutes that white people who created and monopolize these institutions, it constitutes that they still own us. Yep. Yep. I agree. So can you give us the title of your book again? Absolutely. It is The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide and the Revolt Against Critical Race Theory. Is there a website you can quickly say for listeners to be able to check out your classes? Absolutely. Go to DanteKing.com. That's DanteKing, D-A-N-T-E-K-I-N-G.com, www.DanteKing.com. Thank you. Thank you. This is a very interesting conversation, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hey, this is Preble and Franklin jumping into the interview with Dante King. At the time of the interview, we didn't know that Dante was a recipient of the Huey P. Newton Award that day. So we caught up with him the day after the event to get his thoughts on being a recipient of the award. Here's what he had to say. Thank you very much for uh, reaching back out to me. I, I was honored to be at the event. I was honored to uh, have my work recognized by the organization. Um, I think they are doing some phenomenal work in the community. And there are so many of us um, who are out here doing social justice work, out here doing work on behalf of the Black community and on behalf of all Black people and it's not necessarily our accomplishments, you know, our contributions to society, to these efforts, sometimes, many times go unnoticed, you know, so I, I felt uh, very good about it. I felt uh, very humbled and honored to be recognized in the name of Huey P. Newton. Uh, very grateful for that. I have a lot of respect and admiration for the Black Panther Party and everything that they did to bring about justice for the Black community. Um, and being originators of the movement uh, from the Bay Area here in Oakland and San Francisco. So it was just a great, a great experience overall. All right, Dante King, author, um, speaker, a community activist out there doing his thing. Uh, thank you very much for speaking with us again. Thank you. Hi, this is Nomi Windmaker. You're listening to Full Circle, KPFA 94.1. We're here today at the 15th Annual West Oakland Juneteenth Celebration and Festival, sponsored by BH Brilliant Minds Project. And we have here today Isis Tarter. She is the tech lead for the Bay Area chapter of the Black Girls Code. Welcome, Isis. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do as a tech lead for Black Girls Code? Definitely. So as a tech, tech lead, I help organize events and even work at some events like this one uh, to spread awareness. And also, we actually have coding events as well on site. 
And during those, uh, I help organize, I help teach the students and whatnot, uh, in general, uh, community outreach. So tell us about Black Girl Code. What is it? So Black Girls Code is an organization uh, for targeting girls between the ages of 7 and 17 to teach them more about coding and tech, to get them more into STEM and to start to make some of this tech that we've been using. Right, so um, one of the partnerships that we just had was with uh, was an event with Nike and we looked at uh, activism and how that works with works in tech in diversity. Did you feel like there was a obviously a technical divide between communities of color, particularly black girls and technology and you wanted to break that divide down? Is that one of the inspirations that drives your programming or Definitely. your project? Yeah, so I'm a senior data data engineer myself, right? So I've been in software for at least a decade now. And there are not a lot of faces that look like me, um, not a lot of brown faces at all. And when you don't see those faces, it's hard to, it's hard to see yourself in those positions. And so I wanted to make sure that I could actually uh, go back and reach out to these girls and let them know it is possible. I worked at a summer camp for a while. It's uh, called SMASH, the Summer Math and Science uh, Academy, Honors Academy, and that's for students of color in high school. And so during that time when I was um, an RA slash TA, I met a lot of girls and they didn't even know that it was possible to be a software engineer or that that was a major that was like viable. Um, you see this, you have a stereotypical image of, you know, um, a nerdy white guy in a closet or something. And that's not, <laughs> that's not what it has to be at all. And bringing and bringing diversity to computer science is so important because it really colors perspective like there are so many stories going on and no one's our stories aren't being told because no one's there to document it right like if it's not if you're not keeping track of it how can you actually improve it and so by getting more girls into these programs we're able to uh, inject more of ourselves and into the industry and to create a more equitable and fair community yeah. it reminds me of the the movie uh, hidden 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 figures where we didn't know about these sisters uh, um, a very a big part of the NASA program and going to the to the moon we didn't know till the movie came out it's like I felt embarrassed not knowing this history so uh, yeah we need to get more brilliant black minds into stuff so we can advance even more so how long has this been going on, this uh, Black Girl Code been going on right now? I've been volunteering at least five years, but I know we've been going on for much longer than that. But I do know that it is our goal by 2040 to have taught over, uh, to have taught at least a million girls how to code and get them. Where's it, where's it located? Uh, so we have different headquarters. Uh, the one that, for Bay Area, we're in Oakland, but we also have chapters in New York, Atlanta, Chicago. And so currently, I imagine hundreds of black girls have learned how to code. And are they able to tell their stories? How would we be able to hear some of their stories? That's a, that's a great question. So we are, um, we are building an alumni database so that girls can not only share their experiences, but can also uh, be available for more opportunities, uh, such as internships as they start to like graduate from these programs. I would say that you can definitely see their voices in 
in the college projects or even senior science projects, right? Um, even when you look at, I don't know, a science fair and you see, and you see those, those faces of color. When they go through your, your program, how, the, how are you getting them uh, connected to the, the high-tech companies? That's a great question. So companies usually uh, work with us in not only sponsorship, but they like um, in specific events. They'll help teach those. They'll offer like a lot of tech companies have software engineers that they will uh, that will volunteer for certain events, and they have a whole curriculum set aside, and we'll work with them to to push whatever where whatever the goal is of that. Has any of the girls gotten work or employment since the program started that you know of, or are they still in high school? Uh, the ones that I know are still in high school, but they are, um, I know one girl is graduating with a 3.9. Wow. Is looking to major in engineering, so. Awesome. It is definitely working, and it's we should, to see. We should also encourage them to go out and start their own. Definitely. Uh, corporation instead of, you know, relying on these other people to hire them. Exactly. Which, which is important also, but hey, start, you know, start their own thing. So Exactly, and you can so. start it so early too. Right, 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 right. Well, that's wonderful. Can, so you were inspired because you saw the lack of, and now you're in this program and it has grown to be a national program, it appears, and continuing to grow with multiple partnerships. And inevitably, we're going to be seeing these girls take on and get into the tech industries, which is incredibly important. Absolutely. Is there any other goal you have in mind that you want to share or any insight from being part of this program that you'd like to impart? Uh, I would say that in code and computer science and especially data science we're all storytellers right and we need more people to tell our stories yes. well thank you for helping them tell their stories thank you thank you thank you this is great thank you thank you for talking to if, us. if someone wanted to contact black girls code could you lead us to a website yes or? definitely there's blackgirlscode.com and there's also on Instagram and and Twitter, Black Girls Code, at Black Girls Code. And on Facebook, Black Girls Code Org. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Isis. Have a blessed day. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. And you just heard a pair of interviews from two special guests at the West Oakland Juneteenth Festival. That last interview you heard was Isis Tartar, that's Y-S-I-S, Tartar of Black Girls Code. And before that was author Dante King. Please check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight for links and information all about our guest tonight and the organizations featured on the show. So let's take it back to the KPFA table and check out our next two community organizations, Long Live Love Foundation and Community Bank of the Bay. Welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle right here on KPFA 94.1 FM. 
My name is Kenny C, and I'm right here with Theodora. We're both graduate apprentices of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Today, we are out here at the 15th annual West Oakland Juneteenth Celebration and Festival, sponsored by BH Brilliant Minds Project. It's a beautiful day, and we have a very special guest here with us, Mr. Will Hobbs. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So if we could just start out a little bit, how about, if you wouldn't mind, would you introduce yourself and talk about a little bit? Uh, yeah, surely. My name is Will Hobbs. I'm Senior Vice President and Community Impact Director at Community Bank of the Bay. I've been with the bank since 2004, and I've had a variety of roles in the years that I've been there. Community Bank of the Bay was founded in 1996 as California's first bank community development financial institution or CDFI, and we were founded with a mission to, to serve to provide financial services to small and medium-sized businesses in historically underserved communities, to nonprofit organizations, and to faith-based organizations. So that's the mission that we've been pursuing since our inception. So I think the award that we received today is really a reflection of the cumulative work that we've been doing over the last 26 mm -hmm. years. Okay. We're very proud of that work and of our place in the community as a change agent and a provider of capital for small businesses. Ooh, could you maybe for, describe for people the difference between a bank and a community bank? I would say that the core difference is that a community bank, in a community bank, a client will find a uh, people that they deal with for all of their banking needs. There are no phones in our offices where you dial a one, an 800 number in order to get services. Fantastic. You deal directly with an individual. Most of our bankers know our clients by first name and vice versa. And our solutions for financing needs are customized to meet the needs and desires and goals of the client as opposed to fitting a formula, a pre-established formula as an example. We are a, uh, an SBA preferred lender, so we administer mm, the okay. SBA loan program from our bank. We also participate in the state of California loan guarantee programs for small businesses. These two programs are among a variety that give us the ability to make loans that might otherwise be difficult to make because the borrower is a new business or because the borrower does not have extensive experience or extensive personal capital. So you're really serving economic empowerment in, at the community grassroots level. Exactly. As opposed to the banks, you know, kind of up here. You go out there. You want to help at the, right at the grassroots. And that that's is precisely a big who we difference. Are. Most of us at, in the staff at Community Bank of the Bay have spent some portion of our banking careers working for large uh, multinational banks. I, for example, work for both. Citibank and Wells Fargo early in my career. But all of us have chosen to be in a community bank because we all are fulfilled by having closer and more intimate relationships with clients and come up with, coming up with solutions that meet their specific needs. So you just brought all that experience to the community. You, you bring that with you. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That, that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's very fulfilling work. Yeah, so you do it because you want to. Yep. So um, our model has been successful. Um, since founding, we've grown uh, last year to a total of about $750 million in total assets. Wow. All of our depositors are here in the Bay Area. 
all of our banking clients to whom we give loans are in the Bay Area. So we're taking all of that local capital and recirculating it right here in Oakland and in the cities and towns of the East Bay. Um, so that's the difference. Uh, we're really very focused on fulfilling our mission right here with boots on the ground. We consider ourselves to be part of the Bay Area small, small business finance ecosystem, which includes ourselves, other local CDFI banks like Beneficial State, um, ICA, um, Working Solutions, the Renaissance Center over in San Francisco, Main Street Launch, and other providers of finance, specialized finance for small businesses. Okay, so this really makes you quite different from other banks, I'm sure. We think so. Yeah. And so do... <laughs> but it sounds so, like so, it. So does, so does BA Brilliant Models. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they think so as so, well. So you're, you've got an award that you just received. Would you mind telling us a little bit about it or just even holding it up? Well, the first thing I would say is that the award is a total surprise to me. So when I got the phone call to come over today to receive the, reward, the award, I... Uh, said I'd be happy to do so on behalf of Community Bank of the wow. Bay. My name is on here, but it's really the bank. It's all the people who I work mm -hmm. with that this, that this award reflects. It reflects the accumulation of service that they've provided uh, in the community over the years. It sounds like what you're doing, cultivating that, which is empowerment. That's black empowerment. Exactly. So the other big piece of news that I'd want to share with you is that uh, the U.S. Treasury Department created a program called the, uh, the, the acronym is ECIP, E-C-I-P, which stands for Emergency Capital Investment Program. And it was a program that was funded out of the CARES Act around COVID. Okay. The idea was that the Treasury Department would make investments in financial institutions around the country who, were, who had already been identified for doing good community impact work to facilitate their ability to do more and get more capital out to folks who historically have not been have been underserved. Eleven financial institutions in California received ESIP awards from the Treasury Department. Community Bank of the Bay is one of two CDFI banks in the state to have received such an award. So we're very proud of having received that capital. Uh, we will be able to lever it with more deposits, which means we can put more loans on the street. Fantastic. Sounds like the work that you're doing is wonderful. Could you give us some information about where you're located, maybe a website yes. address? Our, our headquarters is uh, in downtown Oakland at 180 Grand at the corner of Grand and Harrison. Uh, we have uh, full branch offices in San Mateo and in Danville. Our web address is www.bankbankcbb.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's amazing. Um, Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today. And I would like to thank you personally for all the work that you have been doing in the community. Thank you for so, so much for giving me this opportunity to speak to the KPFA audience. I am a KPFA listener. Happy to have you. Definitely. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, and congratulations yes. on your award. Yes, and, congratulations. And thank you for all your service. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you as well. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Nomi Windmaker. 
You're listening to Full Circle, KPFA 94.1. We're at the 15th annual West Oakland Juneteenth Celebration and Festival, sponsored by BH Brilliant Minds Project. And we're speaking with Gabrielle Chanel L., the founder of the Long Live Love Foundation, who is today a recipient of a community award by BH Brilliant Minds Project. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Can you tell us how you feel about receiving this community award? What's coming up for you? Um, humbled and honored to be getting an award. Um, actually, you know, I've been in a community and education 30 plus years as you know, a teacher and different other things outside of this, but, and I realized, I don't think I've ever gotten an award. And so I'm like, wow, I guess people do get awards for things. So um, just being recognized that what I'm doing is making a difference and being recognized, um, I think is, is, is great. So I'm really grateful to, to Barbara Howard and Brilliant Minds for considering me to be such a young organization in West Oakland and not so many people know about us, but you know, my family has so many roots here. So I think, you know, just, just that, I'm, I'm very, I'm very honored, yes. So tell us about your foundation. So Long Live Love Foundation really came out of um, grief, trauma. The actual name of the foundation, Long Live Love, came from my youngest son, Emmanuel McCarter, um, who at the time was a 10th grader when my husband, David McCarter, was uh, murdered by the police in East Texas. And he used um, his voice and music to create um, healing for himself and the people around him. And so when I lost him, that name dropped in my spirit. And it, it, I knew that that was how I carry on without them both, actually. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. So your, your foundation was inspired by the grief, and what, what has it driven you to do? It actually has driven me to a place of empowerment. I think I faced some of the worst fears in my life in during those days, um, you know, after my husband, over those eight years, and then what led up to what happened with my son. And I really felt like I didn't really know what to do. And um, so that's really when that, when that dropped in my spirit the day after I buried, um, the day after um, his, his funeral, um, actually in the same church where I sat to bury him the day prior, and that name came, and the, it really was, it, it felt like a spirit, like, it was a feeling I've never experienced, and it's like I, like, a, my spirit left here, took me on a journey of a movie, I felt like I was watching a movie, and came right back to my seat, and knew how to move forward, because I had no idea, I felt hopeless, um, because, um, I didn't really know where to go and I had already you know endured that feeling of how do I 
how do I get help during these years? And I just, you know, dived into community and love. And all I knew to do is just to move forward in love. And everything will work itself out because, of course, you, you first want to start fighting and I've done all the marching and the rallies I've done Mario Woods in San Francisco and me and my son and different ones so so yes mm-hmm. can you tell us about your son Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Uh, yes um, Emmanuel um, was a self-taught um, guitar player by his dad. His dad was self-taught and taught his taught Emmanuel how to play the guitar. And so when we moved here back home to San Francisco where I was from and he was attending Mission High School, he really inspired me because both of my sons actually did because they are both artists in music. So for him just to step up and he always like gave me the strength that I needed to keep going. He was just so inspirational to people. And I just said, in order for me to keep him going and alive within me, I have to be who he was and become love because that's all he walked out. I watched him walk out that in his life. And so I said, I need to walk out Long Live Love Foundation. What does the foundation do exactly? Well, we started with um, a community healing garden and we were able to get a grant through Planning Justice and then also led to life, also stepped in and gave us a grant for the opening ceremony, which was a year ago. We just finished our second annual, no, actually the third annual day, but the second year in the garden. And we were able to open up and create programs. And we've done cooking in the garden. We've done different lessons with the different herbs and the the plants that we have there. We have fruit trees and different herbs um, for healing in the nervous system. Um, So I'm finding that my place of of sanctuary and like my Garden of Eden is what I kind of call it sometimes. And it's kind of a synopsis to my son who also wrote an EP called Eden when he was working with Community Grows in San Francisco. So a lot of that work that he, both of my sons were doing in gardening during that decade after um, my husband, it's almost like it ignited within me. Like this is how I live is to give back life. Where's the garden uh, located? It's on 665 29th Street, right next to the mini Durant Park. Um, It's a family-owned private residence that's been in the family for uh, three, four generations. And I'm there to actually help rehab so that we could actually have indoor space. That's my goal. It's a complete division of my father who was about community and helping the community. He was um, one of the first black dentists in San Francisco. Dr. Dickey was my my dad. So I watched him walk our community and serve and give. And so I'm like, Long Live Love Foundation Center. We're gonna help change the community. It's a lot of violence that's happened on that block. I've been there many times where I've had to lay on the floor and pray and cry because they're shooting right outside of my door. And yeah, so. I said only way to do it is to bring love and unity. So we've had um, musicians, we have a stage, Paolo Carter stage named after him. We have volunteers come in. So um, it's just a place for families and any people in the community that have experienced any type of tragic loss, whether it's through suicide or police brutality or whatever the case may be, know that they have somewhere to go because I really didn't feel like I had anywhere to go. I love the idea of a garden, especially in our communities where we lack good food. Yes. Food we deserts. lack a lot of food deserts, and your sons brought the garden into their lives and 
So the garden as a representation, as a metaphor, as a symbol is beautiful. And so I'm really happy to hear you talk yeah, about that. So magical things happen there. Birds, yes. you know, show up that I've never seen before. Mm. An owl came and visited us one one evening in West Oakland. Really? Um, so yeah, and the birds, you you don't you won't you just have to come experience when we get out that the birds just go into this circle and it's like they join in with us in ceremony and, and service there. Do you have a website or uh, a way someone could look into your foundation? Yes, um, it's longlivelovefoundation.com, and then it's the same on Instagram, Long Live Love Foundation, on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yes. Well, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Well deserved. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You're doing uh, good work. I, I'm very grateful for Barbara Howard and how she just came in and actually helped sponsor one of my wellness weekends I hosted last fall and just welcomed me in because that's what it takes. I've, I feel like collaboration is key in community development and community healing. I'm not here to compete with anyone. I'm just here to help see how can we all work together, one family at a time, That's and changing right. lives. That's yes. right. It takes a village. Yes. Thank you. Thank Definitely. You. Thank you. We appreciate you talking to us. Thank you for having me. Hey, welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, KPFA, and kpfa.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You just heard two more interviews conducted at the KPFA radio table at the 15th annual West Oakland Juneteenth celebration organized by BH Brilliant Minds. And to close out the show tonight, we're going to speak with the organizer and two of her special helpers. Check out Barbara Howard of BH Brilliant Minds and her two special guests. All right, welcome back to Full Circle. This is Free Will and Franklin, and I'm stepping in to do um, an interview myself here. And we're at the 15th annual West Oakland Juneteenth Festival put on um, by BH Brilliant Minds. And right now, I believe we have BH with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the initials do not stand for my name. Okay, People okay. thought it stood for my name, and I'm like, no, it means begin healing brilliant minds. Definitely. And I think we asked you this uh, probably four years ago when we were here, but that's good for clarification because yeah. it's uh, quite a coincidence. Um, well, welcome Barbara Howard. Thank not, you. Not the BH. <laughs> and we're also joined by Samantha Aquay, um, someone that we're going to talk to who's stepping in to help uh, Barbara do these great things that she's doing. Well, um, here we are, Barbara. It's about halfway through your day or how you feeling about your 15th annual festival so far? I'm excited and I am so grateful for the people that are here today. The vendors are beautiful. The folks are beautiful. You all, you know, I'm so grateful for KPFA. Um, you have been with us and we're grateful and honored to have you. All right, all right. Well, it's an honor to be and here. And my day is going well. <laughs> great, great. It's an honor to be here and be a part of the, uh, the Juneteenth. Um, what's been your favorite part of the day so far? What is What have you been into today? Oh, wow. You know, I have my moments, and the moments were just thanking God for me being able to see this come into fruition. And um, it's my baby, but I'm grateful that I'm going to be able to pass it down to my young folks. But um, today has been beautiful for me seeing families and friends and folks 
um, that's in the community come out and feel the love, you know, and that's what, that was a part of my moments today is because I can see that they understood that we appreciate who they are. And let me get your thoughts on Juneteenth becoming a national holiday this year. Oh How does that God. make you feel and what's that bring to your heart? You don't even understand. I'm so grateful and honored for um, Ron Bata. He gave us a, a solution, um, a resolution, what am I saying? And we talked about working towards making it a national holiday. And now that it is, I am so grateful and honored to the mom, the grandma. I think it's 50 years trying to get folks to make it a national holiday. So right to there. stand on the shoulders, I that just gave me a chill. I'm just honored to be a part of this legacy. Congratulations. And um, just like we were talking about before we jumped on the mic that, you know, you've been doing this one particularly at least 15 years is the 15th annual. Yes. And you have a young person with you that's been helping you. And you said you couldn't do it without the young people and oh, the people yeah. helping you. And that's uh, Samantha Aquay that's here. And let me have you introduce her and what it's meant to have her. And then before we talk to her. Well, you know, you got to make me cry here. She at one point told me, Miss Howard, you give people the freedom to be themselves. And when she said that to me, that solidified the work that I do in my community and the work, the work that we do as um, African people. And I'm so grateful um, for her. She is a blessing in my life. And I love and appreciate her. Her mom, she's from New York and she's out here by herself. But to have her in my life, I, words can't even explain. Oh, how's that make you feel to hear that? And scoot on up to the mic and get real close. How's that make you feel to hear someone uh, actually tell you how much you mean to them in their life? <laughs> it, it, it is really a, there are no words to describe Miss B, right? And I, I've been in the Bay for eight years. But when I think about purpose, when I think about my love for community, so I grew up in Harlem and Oakland reminds me a lot like Harlem when we think about its renaissance and transition, its empowerment of black people in particular. And Oakland represents all of that, but Miss B is an epitome of that, right? You find very few leaders. Um, and I think leaders working with young people, right? There's always this like elderly classism thing going on, this weird thing like, I'm in power, you have to listen to me. And she's just like, we're in this together. How can we support each other? What are your ideas? Literally, she gave us a whole stage at the end over there. She was like, you all run that stage. We're like, we're, we're going to run the stage? She's like, yeah, just go run the stage. So, yes, yeah, sacrifice. Sacrifice in every sense, in every form. Yeah. And how did it feel to you to be a part of this uh, legacy that she's talking about now being a national holiday? What's it meant to you to, to be a part of it? You know, I feel like it is less about the holiday itself and the day-to-day -day work that we do uh, on an everyday basis. And certainly it's nice, it gave recognition to like the invisible change that people don't see. I think people hear Juneteenth, but they still don't understand the implications of what it means as a holiday. And do, are they even, most people are like, it's another day off, right? So are they going and Googling or thinking about what are the ways we are still in change, whether like socially, economically, environmentally, uh, politically, right, there's so many things that don't physically have chains on them, but we're still um, very much imprisoned in so many areas of our world, particularly when it comes with 
to black people and people of color and um, coming out of the pandemic and inflation, you know, who isn't being impacted the most, you know, so I can go on and on. So I think the holiday is important um, and it gives recognition to that and awareness to that. But um, I think more so just coming together and giving people a space to experience true freedom internally and externally is important. And since you handled um, the East End, uh, what did you? What was your favorite part about organizing the um, this side, the stage, and what was your favorite part of what you did organize? What really was like special to you that you got to bring out today? Yeah, absolutely. So we have another person who's not here with us. Her name is Talise, and she was really instrumental. And um, she's actually walking this way, so we'll see if she can join. But uh, she helped to organize. But then she's also a dancer. And she got a chance to showcase hy the hyphy movement and hyphy dance that came out of Oakland. Um, so she's right here, right? So that was my favorite part, seeing Talise dance and be in her element and so organized. She's an amazing organizer, right? An amazing critical thinker as well. But I think that to get to get to see her at her freest, I don't know whether dancing is her freest, but uh, that was my favorite part of watching her on stage in the Juneteenth Festival today. And. Um so you heard that you were the favorite part. Tell us um, first, introduce yourself, and then um, tell us what it was like to be a part of this amazing festival today, and to be given that freedom that she was talking about to actually express yourself how you really want to be. You know. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! First of all, it's such a pleasure and an honor to be here celebrating our freedom. Like that in itself is like I feel like we we can oftentimes take our freedom for granted, like as people, you know. Uh, but every day that I get to dance reminds me that I'm free, so I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful to be able to do that in front of my peoples, you know? So that felt great. Um, and then my performance was with some youth performers as well. We all danced together, and for me, that's like paying it forward. Like, I've been so blessed with this life. I'm so blessed with this life, you know? And in, in order for me to continue to pass forward the blessings, it's important to encourage the youth. So I had my little sisters up there with me. We was all going crazy. And it's been just a beautiful experience to be here celebrating Juneteenth. Thank you, Miss B, for having me. Thank you, Sam, for helping. You know what I'm saying? We, we out here. We outside. All right. And um, I guess I would just ask um, Barbara, too, and um, Samantha, what are you guys looking forward to do, uh, doing next year, especially now that you're um, – back in person how does it feel uh, to be back in action out here and what are you looking forward to doing you know coming up next year wow we are so grateful um but we kept it going so i did we did a juneteenth 196 so we did we on our website if they go to bh brilliant minds website um bhbrilliantminds.org they will see the different interviews that we did with the community leaders so we have like 50 to 60 interviews on there. So we did not stop. We have not stopped. And we also did a event closeout at the uh, Joyce Gordon Gallery. So we, we honored the slaves that didn't know they were free until um, six, what, two years later. So we, we've kept it going. You know, we've, we've been pandemic. <laughs> we've kept it going, but we started to think about other ways to, to celebrate. And um, I know planning takes a lot. What are you thinking about? Um, you, you're getting through the day. I know I don't want to put you in the spot to think about next year already. 
But, um, you know, what do you think about when, when, like, the day is going and maybe you look at something you're like, you know what, next year I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You know, what are you thinking right now? So the beautiful thing about planning this and getting ready to, to legacy, to, to <laughs> hand it down, because it's not about my vision. And I, I, God allowed me to see the vision, but it's about my young folks saying, Miss B, I want this here. We should be doing this. And that's what it's about. It's not about me. So whatever they come up with extra <laughs> so, is what we're going to do. Yeah, so Samantha, and I, I'm blinking on your name right now. Talise. Talise. So Samantha and Talise, go ahead, grab the mic there. And, you know, what are you thinking about if as this becomes um, your event to share, you know, your community event to help pass on? What do you think? What are your future ideas, you know, that you maybe you haven't seen or something you really, really want? our event yes yes certainly endless possibilities i think the factor of this year is that um we're still very much coming out of the pandemic so we want people to uh, feel comfortable being outside perhaps a hybrid too if we could do something in the virtual realm incorporate technology as well outside and um yeah more partnerships more sponsorships uh, we want to be able to continue it and do things throughout the year. We have a women's retreat in November that we do. Then we do a holiday gift program in December. Uh, you know, So doing things throughout the year, letting them know this is not a one-off event. But freedom is an everyday mindset, right? So it's nice that we're out here and celebrating, but we're going to go back and a lot of people are still going to be... Um, like closed off or you know we all have our biases but i think this is something we need to be thinking about every day so talisa what about you what do you think yeah, what are you where are we going to be next year on our 16th annual i think you touched on some of it like being able to cross uh being outside with like having some technology because technology is an inev inevitable part of our future you know so i think that's important um a little more cross-generational engagement so uh just making sure that like and we did have a lot of cross-generational engagement today. Like some of the youth uh, organizers came out and did their um, announcements. They were supporting us while we were performing and things like that. And then we have whole nother stage full of elder performers, right? And so we do have like that mesh of cross-generational interaction. Um, just trying to innovate new ways to connect each other, right? Like to make those connections. Uh, so yeah, we'll keep brainstorming on it, but I think that's a big like driving force to mobilize the whole community. All right, and I guess before we wrap it up, what's the best way to follow uh, BH Brilliant Minds and to, to keep your uh, eyes on BH Brilliant Minds and what you're all doing? How can people follow you? So what they would um, do would go to our website, and of course it's bhbrilliantminds.org, bhbrilliantminds.org. So go to the website, uh, Facebook, and follow these young folks. Tell them how to follow you. Yes, definitely. You all have social media that you want people to follow. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, this is event organizing is one of many hats that I wear. I am a dancer. That is my first love. So you can follow me on Instagram. You can just look up my name on Google, T-E-L-I-C-E. -E. My name is Talise. And you're going to see that name in a lot more places, you know what I'm saying? But if you look me up on Instagram, look me up on any social media platform, look me up on Google, you will find me. Um, if you look up Talise Turfin on YouTube, you'll find all my dance videos. Um, if you look up Talise on Google, you'll find some of the events that I've organized, some of the projects that I've worked on. So, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. And Samantha, are you uh, that social media active? <laughs> 
You know, I'm, I'm wary of this follow culture. I'm like, lead, lead, lead. But yes, all of the channels, wherever they are, I will be. All so. right, all right. Well, I thank you all. Um, and again, Barbara Howard, uh, BH Brilliant Minds, uh, which is Begin Healing, excuse me, Begin Healing. Uh, Begin Healing Brilliant Minds. Um, thank you again for organizing this beautiful event. Thank you so and much. And for having us out here again uh, as KPFA. We appreciate you, You know, we're so grateful for you both um, for sticking and being a part of this legacy because a part of the legacy is having you all here. All right. I think we're honored to carry that for KPFA and we'll continue to, to join you. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Thank Have a good you. rest of the day. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show, for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. We will also be posting some interviews we didn't get to air tonight because of our time constraints. Shout out to our special guest host, current apprentice, Nomi Windmaker, and first voice graduates, Kenny C., Roddy Kiel and Theodora Atkins. Also, shout out to the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant, and me, Prewell and Franklin. I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle, and I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone, and remember while you're out there to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is La Onda Bajita, and I'll be featuring a couple of segments on that show tonight and during the 9 o'clock hour. Check it out, everyone. Good night.